Yeah, J J Pink, we are we are good. Um uh Demay, Demay, but y'all, please introduce yourself to Demay. Demay's going to have to dip a little bit early because he's got to get on a flight at 5 a.m. Uh, mm, but anyway, no. I, want, I want Demay to get a chance to meet you guys as well, too. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll go first, then. Uh, I'm Brandon. Uh, nice to meet you, finally. A long-time listener. First-time caller, kind of deal. <laughs> um <laughs> I am a spray tech in South Georgia, uh, about an hour away from Chad, which is the guy to your right on the bottom right. Um, I don't really know what to say, to be honest. Uh, but I appreciate y'all for having us on. Um, it's good to meet you guys. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. yeah. Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah, loud mm -hmm. and clear. Um, what's up guys? I'm Steven. Um, I hadn't met Ray and I hadn't met Ryan, so it's awesome to meet you guys. Uh, same with, uh, Brandon. I've watched the show for a hot minute now, several years now. Um, I really only got into lawn care, like back in like 2018, um, just as like a homeowner. Um, uh, my job as like my daytime job, I work for United. I'm a sales rep for United. So I know all about the boiler room sales nonsense that goes on because I deal with it every day, which is probably why I'm drinking on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, I'm just, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and part time I do some consulting work for homeowners and slang a little fert. So that's pretty much who I am. But yeah, my name's Chad. Um, yeah, I've been watching the grass factor for, for a while. Actually, a long time. Um, back Back when Matt was, uh, I think it was called the Lawn and Garden Show mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. so I've been watching a while. I followed Ray probably, probably ten plus years, I guess. Simming from Lawn Site and Lawn Forum. Oh my God! Another oh, stalker, Matt. <laughs> Another stalker. Good lord! Yeah, back, back, in, back in the day when 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 Matt was on there, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just so, a lurker though. I did not participate too much on lawn site, uh, yeah, and if I did, I, it would be I, under I under various like dummy accounts. Yeah, it was just it was just me going on there basically and looking to see what Ray said. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my oh dear. <laughs> so, so so I guess all that has kind of influenced a lot of the things that we actually do, which is influence me and influence Brandon and influence Steven and pretty much everybody in our whole group uh, stems from that. Really. Wow. From wow. That, yeah. I mean, yeah, because I thought of myself as the centipede grass renegade. Yeah. You know, don't yeah. do what everybody else is doing to centipede because <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> That's right. It definitely does. A centipede is a different animal for sure. You know, I think one of the one of the things that probably turned it around for me and I guess most everybody now is stumbling upon Ray and the no murate potash thing. You know, I, I mm. guess that made a really big impact. You know? I, yeah, well, I, I, I've done I some stupid shit to centipede, and not once have I ever yeah. had centipede decline. And I've done some stupid shit. I think I think okay. it's all that 
completely related to the uh, sulfate of potash. Like, it just seems like that was the constant. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, just, I, I feel very good. I feel very good about that. Yeah, you know, using sulfate of, sulfate of potash or potassium nitrate instead of muriate of potash is, I guess, your little bit of safety margin where as long as you get that right, you're allowed to FAFO a little bit, just a little. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. And yet, I remember on lawn site having some dickhead from Montana. Oh, yeah, Skippy. That, yeah, yeah, you know him. <laughs> he knows that his name. Fucking, <laughs> some fucking dickhead from Montana telling me that muriate of potash does not cause decline of centipede. And I'm thinking, I want a bit? I mean, yeah. because because all it takes, at least here in Hawaii, and why nobody has a centipede lawn anymore, is that old bag of uh, 16, 16, 16 made with MOP, uh, MAP, and urea. Go throw it. We'll spread that out on the centipede lawn a couple of times. Yeah. You won't have the centipede lawn anymore. It's gone. It just wipes right, out. We, Done. We got to push yeah. this live. We're 921. J Pink, go ahead and give it the full send. And then the after intro, we will do We will do the uh, the fun bit. I'll shut the fuck up. I am not capable of it's doing that. I'm going to stomp all over this. To put together <laughs> even though it's something we really want to do. Hey, do you know where I get from? Taking care of the things we have to take care as of. A, as a matter of fact, I do. However, oh, because of viewer support, Dude, people like if, you, if that guy's ever to going to drive this, to my house to joining our excuse Patreon me, this is this supporting is, the I'm telling Return podcast. Is, I don't stand a chance. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Oh, it's me? Oh, it's you? Oh, who? I, I, I was <laughs> off my A game there. Uh, uh, okay. So, all right, hang on. Let me, let me, let me get this out of the way. Uh, first and foremost, we are not doing a regular episode of burn and return tonight. You know why? Because, because we can't, that's why. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to ask everyone to, uh, hold hands with me and, uh, and get off my duts because we are doing something a little different this evening. Um, I, uh, have, uh, had the, uh, gracious opportunity to meet, uh, several gentlemen in a Facebook community. Uh, it's called the centipede lawn care. Uh, what is it? What, how do you, how's this all centipede lawn care and turf sciences group? Right. And, uh, and it is, it is a group of, uh, fine young gentlemen. There might be a few ladies in there. I honestly have no idea. looks like, yes, there are some, some women in there as well too, uh, that are interested in just doing things as good as they possibly can. Uh, and it's going to be a, a, a mix kind of like you see on our show here of, uh, professional applicators and, uh, and homeowners as well. And what, what they, they reached out to us and, and, uh, and said, you know, Hey, a couple things. Uh, number one is we would love, uh, to do something a little different with you guys. What if we open up a, uh, a, a thread 
in the group and, uh, and, and, uh, you guys can, you know, kind of take it, you know, one-on-one and, and, you know, make it more of a, uh, a, a dedicated show for the people that are in our group and said, yeah, absolutely. 100%. We will do that. And, uh, and as, as, you know, a byproduct of that, they were going to, uh, they were going to, uh, um, uh, help with our we care lawn care info project that we have going on as well there too. So, uh, giving oh, wow. a little bit more love to the, uh, the St. Jude, uh, thing that, that we've got going on there. So anyway, uh, I wanted to, I, I just wanted to get that out of the way. We're doing things a little different tonight. If from a scheduling standpoint, it just worked out, uh, easier, um, a little bit of housekeeping, uh, DeMay is going to have to dip early because he's got to be on an airplane at five o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and <laughs> I don't, I don't miss that. And I don't envy that. Not one bit, uh, especially in, in today's pilot climate. Oh God. Is driver going to be your pilot, <laughs> by the way? Oh dear. I am flying, <laughs> I am flying an airline that he greatly disparages and despises. So no. And I did that on purpose too, to feed I, into the, the capitalist pigs at Delta. The, oh, yes. <gasps> uh, by the way, hates, I have a credit card in my wallet right now and it is an American express Delta card. Um, because let's be mm. honest that if you want to enjoy your flight, you typically fly Delta. If you don't want to, you can pick any of the other airlines. That's all I'll say about that. Um, all right. That being said, let's go ahead and bring on the other boys. Oh, by the way, Jay Pink, would it be possible to go ahead and just push this live to YouTube instead of a, uh, instead of a, a, a local recording? Is it too late to do that? Uh, I know he can't, he can't talk to me right now, but I'll get, I'll get some feedback in the chat. And, uh, and so think if you're anyway, saying, I was thinking, think. Uh, Jping, clap three times if if you're still alive. Wait, wait, do wait. I do I need to call? You are a fucking. And <laughs> 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 yeah, these centipede guys are probably never going to come back ever. I know. Jping, I don't can know, you play? The, can we play the video? Can we play the intro video that we were going? Yeah, play? We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that when we get the rest of it figured out. Maybe. Okay. I, I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can go out right in and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. Five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, thank you, Bill O'Reilly. That was that was exactly what we needed to uh, to kick this to kick this off. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. That was that was exactly what we needed. Uh, anyway, all right, we've got uh, gentlemen. Just take a second, uh, state your names real quick. Uh, Brandon, we'll start with you. Just so that way, we'll we'll keep it in order based on how everybody sees you, and uh, then we'll start we'll start jumping into the the fun part. Oh, I'm introducing myself. Okay, uh, Brandon. Uh, it's nice to meet y'all. Uh, I'm a spray tech in South Georgia, um, a couple of miles away from Chad. Uh, first time on the show. I uh, appreciate y'all, you know, having us out and answering a few questions that our group members have. Uh, but the I've been watching, been introduced to y'all from Chad, actually. Uh, and I just, you know, on the way to work, you know, in the truck, listening to y'all right before I get on the dang sprayer and sweat my balls off every day during the summer. Um, 
some you're really fine. good information from y'all. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's why I'm drinking that. bourbon. I'm a, I'm a sweat I'm gonna sweat it out in about ten o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, it's uh really appreciate y'all again and I'm really looking forward to this. Steve, how are you? What are you doing? Are you hammered yet? No, no. <laughs> Hopefully I won't get hammered. <laughs> but um yeah, what's up I guys? Don't you. Um my name's <laughs> no. My name's Stephen Cheney. Um, I'm an admin in the Centipede Group. Uh, my day job is I work for United Rentals. I'm a territory manager for United Rentals, um, and part and not part time, but like my side gig is I slang some furt to homeowners and do some consulting work for homeowners. Um, I'm super appreciative to be on the show and super appreciative of everything that you guys do. So much of my philosophy about turf grass comes from you guys. You know, Chad, um, like uh, Brandon said was who introduced me to you guys and it's that that's all that's all i've been the full time is just grass factor what's what's ray gonna say what's ryan gonna say what's matt gonna say you know what are their opinions on it and that's gospel and then let's go read some research <laughs> papers and some some uh some fun just stuff. let's go read some labels right so uh yeah that's me yeah. hey chad hey matt the dinosaur the dinosaur <laughs> Yeah. I, I joke. I joke about Chad's age all the time. He's he's not that old, Ray. He's your age, uh, but I also bust Ray's balls as well for being uh, as old as a dinosaur. And uh, you know, <laughs> trust me, I hear both of your bones as you're sitting in your chairs, uh, rocking back and forth over there. So uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to trying to grow centipede mainly in Saint Augustine. Just trying to keep it alive. Um, <laughs> Done lots and lots of research, lots of trials and trial and error, and probably like the rest of you, have had lots of bad experiences with it and learned a lot from that more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, and if if y'all can't hear uh, the uh, the the South Georgia accents that are coming here, uh, one it is it is one of the most charming accents in the world, you know. And we can like we'll, we'll take we'll take Kenny Cooper for contrast, right? Who's uh, from Chicago, and that is probably the worst accent you've ever heard. And then and then you hear the South Georgia accent, and it is it is incredibly pleasing to the ear. Uh, to the uh, to the asshole Wisconsinites like uh, Supernova and uh, Michiganders like uh, like Driver. I eat all of my balls, gentlemen, because uh, that the, the <laughs> accents we have on tonight are uh, are, are high quality, and uh, and y'all sound like trash. All right, uh, we'll go ahead. It. Yeah, we'll 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 kick this off. Um, yeah, so wherever y'all want to start, uh, feel free. the The floor is yours. You want to start with some questions, Stephen? I can I can start with questions. Um. Here's a, here's a, here's a solid question. Best pre-program walking. This is from Patrick Beeman. Uh, I think Matt knows Patrick. Uh, he's in our group mm -hmm. here. Um, Patrick's best awesome. pre-program uh, walking the fine line of root pruners, uh, tenacity, gallery, prodiamine, uh, outside, outside of sound fertility, one to two pounds of N and K annually with AMS SOP. Is there a benefit to other turf needs? So good fertility and, what's a great uh, pre-emergent strategy for centipede Ray. I know, I know what yours is going to be on this. Uh, and I'll, I'll say this is that, you know, I don't, 
I don't know if there is a surefire, like 100% best way to get this done in a professional lawn care setting with the idea that you're going to treat a 5,000 square foot lawn for $60. You know what I'm saying? So if you, if you adopt that program of, of, you know, trying to compete uh, from a a price standpoint within, you know, plus or minus 10% of the competition in your area, are you, are you going to be able to run a root pruner free, uh, 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 pre-emergent program? Chances are not affordably, you know, not at, you know, 20% or 25% product cost margins. And, uh, and it's just, that's kind of the nature of the beast. And if that's where you need to be, you know, I know some larger outfits may need to be at 18% or 15% product cost margins. Right. And, uh, and, and you're sure as shit, not going to get that done at, uh, at, you know, 60 bucks for a 5,000 square foot yard or 4,000 square foot yard. Right. So, you know, now can't, can't, but can you design a program to do it? Fuck Yeah, you could. And it would be awesome. And, uh, and, and you'd love it. Ray, and, and I think Ray's the perfect example of this. Ray, uh, when it, you can accomplish whatever you want, but it comes down to what, what, what you're, what you're willing to spend, right? You know, IPM, what are, right? What, Ray? Yeah. I pay, I pay materials and I also consider sod or seed when that turf area crashes and burns a material that I factor into my costs. So a more safe program can turn out to be the better value versus losing that turf area. And as far as pre-emergence go, prodiamine, let's talk about prodiamine. Prodiamine can be a very good crabgrass and even goosegrass pre-emergent. I'm not going to fault that or deny that. However, when it comes to using prodiamine for other weeds besides crabgrass and goosegrass and foxtail, even, it tends to fall short. And that is where, on centipede especially, given how touchy centipede is about broadleaf herbicides, I tend to think that gallery starts to become a rather good idea. Mm-hmm. What about com- you- combining things like a gallery and prodiamine in that instance, or even, all right, you know, Hey, gallery is good, but you know, you've already got money invested on the prodiamine side. What about a simazine or atrazine uh, toss, toss into that? That is, a, that is a good strategy because here's my idea is that when I'm treating centipede, I keep my rates of root pruners low and then backfill that with something that is more active on broadleaf weeds. And Matt, you just said simazine or atrazine. What I know simazine and atrazine for is rather strong control of a lot of broadleaf weeds. That's what I know those products for. So I can imagine lower rates of prodiamine, backfill that with simazine. And if you have the budget, then you turn to using something like gallery because actually I consider simazine to be particularly useful in a special case, and that is not for summer 
broadleaf weed control. I actually would incorporate that into my fall and winter POA control program instead. And did somebody mention tenacity? Because mm-hmm. here's where I would put that Simazine app. I would put it into the app that goes down for the first emergence of POA in the winter. Simazine plus tenacity. Because what happens when you apply Simazine plus tenacity together is it becomes extremely effective above and beyond what tenacity alone will do to broadleaf weeds and poor. It will fry it. Mm-hmm. And I, fry I, I it. want to say that mm-hmm. can you get away with using spectacle on it? Yeah, but it's a gamble, right? And and that's a and mm-hmm. that's you know you've got to weigh what what level of risk are you willing to incur right because a foobar mm-hmm. with with uh with spectacle is a little different than a foobar with say simazine and tenacity right like your your rate mm-hmm. of recovery your your ability to uh, fill grass back in after that which you know with centipede is going to be a bit of a chore anyway it's not like you can go pound it with six pounds of in and and you know keep it cut at a half inch it's, yeah Right. It's going to take take a fair amount of time to get the damn job done. Right. So, um, and then the other aspect of it too, that is uh, a big, uh, uh, thing to keep into consideration is, uh, winter kill, right. Where I know where Beeman is Beeman's up further North into, into North Carolina. He has to deal with winter kill. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you, when you're start, when you start talking about losing, uh, you know, a hundred square feet to, to winter kill, uh, 500 square feet to winter, a thousand, 3000 square feet to winter kill, right? Like you, I, you can work for you and it can work against you. You've, you've, uh, utilized, uh, a spectacle in that instance, uh, but you lost 3000 square feet to winter kill. Uh, it's gotta be yeah. replaced anyway, whether you use prodiamine or simazine or tenacity doesn't matter. You, you know, you're, you're already in the side replacement, right? So it's at that point, you know, you, you have, you have to, you know, it's like, you see what I'm saying? You have an out that is not your responsibility for the turf grass failing, right? That's, that's nature that caused it to fail. Um, you did the best mm-hmm. you could on, from a weed control perspective. And, uh, and so it, it's just, it's got to factor into all of the equation. Chad, I'm curious, uh, where, where do you like to lie? Do you, do you, uh, uh, err on the side of risk with, um, uh, spectacle from time to time. Is it, is it situational? Do you only sometimes use it? Is it year round? What your, what do you look like? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And that's something I've been playing with for a while now. And over the last year, I did, I didn't run any root printers at all. I ran, I ran zero root printers. Um, I did, I didn't really see like a, like a big problem with it either. I ran mostly tenacity, atrazine, simazine. Um, I had mm-hmm. some select yards where I ran gallery, and and I tried to use utilize a uh, sulfentrazone as a as a pre-emergent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just I have a problem with it turning turning the grass brown. So you know, once we get to dormancy, <laughs> I don't have a problem with it, but. Um, you know, just trying to use sulfentrazone can be a little tricky just because it does turn the grass brown, not necessarily damage it, but, you know. Yep. There's a recovery period. There is some, yeah. There's some bronzing yeah. that is caused by your 
capsule fendrazone, but the thing about that is what you get out of it. And what I get out of sulfentrazone applied correctly is broad spectrum, broad leaf, and sedge control. That's what I get out of it. And that control is not only post-emergent, but it's also a pre-emergent. So I'm getting dual duty out of that application. Uh, when would you be timing your sulfentrazone, if I may ask? Well, I was trying to time it after the grass went dormant, which here, when it's like brown dormant, was about January. Is when I when you I would what? do it on on some yards. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's that's like a perfectly reasonable strategy because uh, sulfentrazone plus tenacity, for example, is another powerful combination for weed control. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, that's like your, another tool in the toolbox when you need it. And there's benefits mm -hmm. above and beyond the initial post-emergent control. So that's a, I think that's a good strategy that's, uh, I've used that as well. And it paid off. It paid off. Yeah, so, well. so this was the first year that I've actually been through it and didn't really use a traditional pre-emergence. And, and, I, and I may do it again this year. You know, most... Most warm season grasses, the program is two split apps of spectacle in the fall and then follow that up with either pro, like prodiamine or dimension in the spring. But yeah, I went, I went mm -hmm. completely away from that, tried something totally different than, you know, pretty much anybody else was doing. And, and, and I can say mm -hmm. the grass screened up probably better than ever before when I did that, especially with the right. centipede, you know, didn't really, didn't really struggle coming out of green up, even though it's, Centipede's pretty bad about you know waking up. It's it's still pretty ugly trying trying to <laughs> transition mm -hmm. to green up. But yeah, I'd say this was probably the best year I've had with it. Brandon, yeah. it's not. Uh, what what do y'all look like? Are you are you are you balls deep into the into the roopers? Or are, you, are you avoiding it? Yeah, kinda. Uh, I'm not really fond of it, but uh, I work for a guy that obviously he has the final say so of what he wants to do. I kind of put an sure. input, you know, whatever. Um, we kind of, we run spectacle. Um, but I mean, you, we always have, you know, we have some breakthrough here and there. Um, you know, he's used, we've used dimension before for diamond, you know, the, the usual split app kind of deal. Um, but the rates we run with spectacle is normally, kind of like a 60 to 90 day uh, rates. Um, but like Chad was saying, you know, with the root pruners, especially with Zazia and Centipede, waking up throughout dormancy has been prolonged than usual that I've seen. Um, but it's 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 hard to say i'd like to say i like to be like you know what let's try something different but you know he uh he has his final say so but i kind of give i kind of give input to where okay you know this is not a good idea or you know stuff like that but it's <laughs> it's hard to say 
but we we normally run yeah spectacle most of the time and for diamond um it's, it comes down to cost too you know we can't run a, a three-way you know tenacity gallery or tenacity simbazine or something like that you know what i mean it's it's just comes down to cost to the end of the day it gallery is just yeah. so expensive yeah yeah for a thousand and, yeah, and, yeah, per acre it's costly it's costly yes yeah. And, and again, I would only it's, use gallery for one thing. I would only use gallery for absolutely one specific circumstance. Even that is not a general broadleaf pre-emergent. I only employ that in instances where spurge is an issue. Spurge. Other than that, I choose something else. Chamber bitter. It, it's yeah. pretty effective with chamber bitter too. Um, the um, all right. So uh, in the in the the reason why I. I bring it up is I don't think there is a um, again, Brandon, like you said, you you don't like it. And I, I, I again, I want to stress that I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer here. It, it kind of all plays into the, to the calculus of it all. Right. And, and you, you have to accept a certain amount of bad, right. But you get the flip side of it is that you get an overall greater level of uh, uh, weed, weed prevention. Right. And right. then what you have to take into account from that point too is uh, what you can expect in your specific market as well too, right? So will your market allow for the weed pressure on the early part of the spring, right? Or is it going to be one of those like it's two totally different deals? When I was in in Memphis, no one gave a shit if the grass was green, especially when I worked like way out in the counties, like in Fayette County and stuff. This is all reclaim, you know, hay fields and pastures and shit. And they're like, you know, I don't want to see a weed ever. I don't care what my grass looks like. I don't want to have to mow it. I don't want to see a weed. It can be as brown as the as the Sahara Desert, but I don't I do not want to see a weed. And that's just the way it is. And uh and this is back in the day. And of course, you know, you did whatever you had to do to to make sure it looked that way. Now, that versus like Knoxville, Knoxville does not give a shit about weeds in the yard as long as it's green that's what they want mm. screaming green two four seven three six five and it was a weird you know kind of uh kind of thing for me to make that adjustment i even say in augusta it was kind of strange in that way too was that if it was green for the masters that was the only thing they cared about right so yeah. <laughs> if you got to go overseed with 20 30 pounds per thousand of perennial ryegrass uh zoysia grass to to have it green for the masters that's the only thing they cared about you know all 80% of the zoysia dies after that. Right. And then, and you're like, man, that was a terrible idea. Why would anybody do that? Uh, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. That's what they, that's what they get. So every market is going to be a little bit different and that has to play into, into what you, what you can expect. Right. But the reality is, is, is beaming, you know, that beaming for you specifically, you've got to make that judgment call, but yes, it can be done multiple different ways. It's just, you know, figuring out, uh, um, uh, does it does it fit the budget? You know, what are you willing to spend on it and all that fun stuff too? So you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yep. What else we got? Uh, here's a guy, Michael Herring. Uh, he has two questions. Um, with centipede preferring acidic soil, should lime be added to centipede to raise pH if lower than five point five? And if pH is too high uh, for centipede, should attempts be made to lower pH or just switch grass types? So that's probably one good question. Let's go with that one first. Uh, the, the only time I would think where liming centipede would be necessary is if you have 
uh, toxic levels of like aluminum or, uh, or lead in your soil or something. Ray, what, what, what would you say on that? I'd probably say the exact same thing is only time I would consider adjusting pH and I do it extremely carefully in Cetapede is if I were looking at pH sub five soil, like down to 4.5 and I got red flagged as either aluminum toxic or manganese toxic, then I would consider, you know, then I would then consider raising that up to five, but not much higher. Not much higher. I mean, it is very rare to find soils where you actually need to do that. Mm-hmm. It's rare. How about going I, the other way? Oh, bring, bringing it down? Uh, yeah, so, so, so bringing it down. Oh, so, man. So <laughs> seven, seven, five. <laughs> Okay, you know what I'd say to them? Switch turf types. <laughs> yes, time, time to consider a beautiful iron cutter or Tahoma 31 lawn. I got your attention, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're high in phosphorus. Yeah, especially. And in fact, we had one of our friends on the Discord who had to do that because his dad had been throwing down. 111 on his centipede lawn every year and finally the centipede you know declined on him and so we told him i think it's time for you to for your dad to have a bermuda lawn because i don't think centipede can grow there anymore it's done we had a mod <laughs> who had a stupid high uh ph and stupid high foss but kept the centipede mm-hmm. lawn and he it I mean, it looked nice for a little while, right? I mean, it looked pretty good, mm-hmm. um, but it, it it declined, and he fought he fought tar, he fought everything under the sun, and he I mean, mm-hmm. he's moved out of that house since. But um, mm-hmm. that was, was just, that was the yard I sent you, uh, Ray, in the on the Discord. Uh, I think I sent you his solo test and everything. This was a while back, right? Yeah, right, and right, he said, right. uh, <laughs> I think you said. I feel uh, like you can. Grow something else or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I, but. I, yeah. I, I, th- I think I said that as well. We're looking at it realistically. I'm not sure centipede could grow there and be healthy long term. Mm-hmm. And the owner of that lawn, I have concerns about his mental health because he would lose his mind <laughs> trying to keep that grass alive under those conditions. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> Like if you have high pH, but you have low FOS, I've seen it be very workable. If you have high FOS and low pH, I've seen it be very workable. But if you have high FOS and high pH, you, you know, you're screwed. Plus, it was cannot, so weird. It, it. He was almost sand, too, just straight sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was like it was sand capped. Like there was, it was nothing but sand. It was wild. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is insane. I mean, I'd probably say that I've also seen centipede turf on that high pH and high FOSS levels as well. But then here's what is the needle in the coffin I find. Any kind of external source of salt, specifically excessive chlorides. 
that is where things go really bad really fast. I mean, because I've seen people keep centipede in places where theoretically it shouldn't work, but I notice the differential is that turf does not receive any kind of chlorides or salt ever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the di- that's the difference. And so with those people, their grass does fine as long as they fertilize that with absolutely nothing. And they just water it and mow it. <laughs> so here, here's, an, here's the second half of his question, which which I think is very interesting. Um, could nitrogen fertilizer amount go over two pounds per year to repair damaged or bare areas, or would this likely lead to decline? Question mark. If so, what would be a better way to repair areas? Oh, it's a crapshoot. I let me. Yeah. I will just say from personal experience. Look, there have been I don't know. 300 lawns, I've probably been in excess of four pounds per thousand of of nitrogen on centipede because of winter kill. Uh, to, and, you know, the number of ones that had ill effects were like three out of that. Uh, now, my own personal home lawn, you know, was, was centipede as well and probably in excess of six pounds of, of in. And uh, in property line to property line, it did not green up again ever. It was it was toast. It was done. So uh, you know, it's a in my experience, it's it's just a crapshoot. What do you think, Ray? And like, are you are you uh, are, okay from no, a re- repair it, perspective? In this instance, how likely? Like, what what percent of of damage or uh, area. What? Yes. What percent of area that you would want to grow in uh, would you have to see for you to say, okay, I'm going to run three pounds in this time versus just being like, all right, I'm going to grab half a pallet of sod or whatever, or I'm going to plug it. Okay, I, I probably say my <clears throat> cutoff is ten percent, and I even include. That ten percent as areas that look a little thin or weak. Yeah, I don't. I'm not even talking about absolutely barriers because absolutely bare areas. I'm looking at seed or sod to repair that area right now because it is going to take too long to grow back. It's just going to take too darn long, and I know that. The danger of thinking you're going to push the existing turf to grow a little bit more with nitrogen is that is okay until it's not okay and you've caused the whole thing to decline because it's gotten too much in. And now you have a bigger problem on your hands. And, and what's the predictability of that, though? You know, and that's that is what I that is why I hate this grass type more than anything on the face of the planet. <laughs> well, you can't. What's the threshold, right? That's that's my question. What's the threshold, and what's the mechanism that's actually happening that's going to push the grass into decline? I don't know. I especially, do especially if you're if you're if you're mitigating the other the other issues, right? Um, so you know, excessive thatch, so that kind of thing, or you or you you're not allowing it to store enough carbohydrates before before it goes dormant. So if you if you mm-hmm. take those factors out 
and you just pushed high end, theoretically, shouldn't it work? And you kept up with K, right? So you kept up with other nutrients. Kept up with your K. Yeah, you kept up with your K, and also other factor that plays in, and I find that this is this plays in too is. You know when people talk about pushing along within, what is their actual nitrogen source? Because I got mm, into this debate point. with somebody as, as well because he also, the same person that told me it doesn't matter if muriate of potash is used as your case source on centipede, he then proceeded to also tell me it doesn't matter if my nitrogen comes from urea. <laughs> okay, I mean, I, I was told that one because, true story, I have applied rather aggressive rates of ammonium sulfate on centipede and not have it go badly on me. But then I'm talking about applying one tenth to two tenths of a pound of N mm -hmm. per month on that centipede with at least an equivalent amount of potassium with potassium nitrate. And that has been okay as far as promoting growth and color and all the things that you want fertilizer to do, but understand that you're not going to find a pre-mixed bagged fertilizer containing those uh, elements in no. them. It's not going to happen. So. Yeah, so here's the Chad, thing. let me let me get in your head real quick. How how much uh have you gone the route of selecting like ammonium nitrate or potassium nitrate and just and just going ape shit on your end rates to see if you can cross the threshold? I did I did I did last year, like like the year before I went with ammonium sulfate and potassium sulfate on a few yards and probably went four or so pounds of in trying to grow some in. And mm -hmm. and I didn't I didn't really notice any any more ill effects than the yard was already suffering. Of course it, it was it was pretty bad so that's why I was trying to push it so hard. So mm -hmm. so so I was kinda of hard with it. But you know, if I went four pounds of in it probably got five to six pounds of K. Uh, mm -hmm. Pretty much the same time, so mm -hmm. so. Um, and and that, you know, that may be that may be the the factor there, right, Steve? Is is that you know uh, again removal rates of centipede are not going to be removal rates of Bermuda, and where it gets even weirder is that individual cultivars are going to have different removal rates too, right? Like I know Patriot Bermuda grass is one of those that is, it has a weird removal rate compared to say like TIF 419, right? You know, I, if I recall correctly, I think Patriot Bermuda was closer to like a one-to-one -one removal rate. Uh, and that was, and that was, you know, not like a luxury thing either. That was just what it, it typically was removing. Needed. Um, yes. Yeah. So kind of an odd, oddball, you know, out of left field. Now the difference between you know Tiff Blair and and whatever other centipede you run out there are going to be different removal rates. I don't know if you're going to push it above a two pound threshold that you need to have. You know if we'll we'll call it we'll call it a one to two removal rate for centipede or, or a uh, a two to three removal rate for centipede. So basically, for every two units of nitrogen you apply, you remove three units from the soil. Right? And for people listening, 
Um, you know, so you apply two pounds of in your removal rates, what your centipede is going to actually pull, try to pull from the soil is going to be three pounds, right? Because your nitrogen load will determine the rest of the nutrients that you're removing from the soil, right? Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with that removal rate, you know, two to three or one to two, right? So if you want to push it above two pounds in, say you want to get into four, you know, you got to make sure that, you know, you're going to be in the, um, uh, you know, ship, you know, high, high, you know, eight, eight pounds of, of in, you may be, you may be having to go out with, or six pounds of in, uh, I'm sorry, six pounds of K, six pounds of K to support your four pounds of in that you're applying at a two to three removal rate. Right. You know, what's beautiful mm -hmm. about centipede grass, centipede grass Nothing. will quickly tell you. <laughs> I was say, thank you, Ray. You know, man. <laughs> yeah. Centipede grass will rapidly tell you when it is running low on K, it'll quickly tell you, right? Because what happens to centipedes that's running low on K is that it starts to turn bronze and purple. And I had to learn this and absorb this because I always, you know, as a classically trained agronomist, always associated purple with phosphorus deficiency. In centipede grass, that's incorrect. In centipede mm -hmm. grass, that turns that bronzy purple color when it is running very low on K. And a lot of people, they see that purple and they think, oh my gosh, we are low phosphorus. Let's hammer it. Don't do that to centipede. Instead, when it starts turning purple like that, I'm thinking, I think it's time for an application of 13045. It's time for that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for a paper that shows removal rate. Uh, you know, Evie brought up a good point. You know, what about the, the, the micronutrients or, or minor nutrient uh, removal rates too, to support that. Now I'll say this too, is that, uh, you know, typically most soils are going to have enough because again, they're micronutrients, right? Very, very, very little is going to be removed. And, uh, and so typically most soils are going to be sufficient in it, right. To, uh, to, to be able to handle that. But are you, are you going to, uh, uh, cause any problems by, uh, you know, playing it safe and throwing in some foliar micronutrients a few times through the season just to make sure everything's going to be okay. I, I just, only upside, right. Of, of what you I mean to that. tell no. me that we can't apply boron to centipede. What now? Uh, oh, Washington, oh. Boron. there's very, very special boron for that. <laughs> so Demay and I have been playing around. We found, we found this boron rich, uh, tide, uh, at the, at the, at the store. And we're, we're using it as a one, two surfactant boron punch, right? So you get a great <laughs> wedding agent effect plus boron. We think we're going to get it white labeled and we're going to sell it under the grass factors, the grass factor <laughs> secret sauce. Uh, and we're, and it's going to be sponsored by Spencer and, uh, and, and it'll be, it'll be just be a beautiful thing. The color on your lawn won't fade either. It's, it's tied. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tide doesn't, tide doesn't fade colors. I, I remember that, uh, that claim is that it don't fade colors because, uh, yeah, tide is good stuff. So, Bring on the boron, guys. Bring it on. And uh, in fact, <laughs> we, 
I can't, I can't, I can't wait to bring this to market. This is going to be, this is going to be the greatest thing. In fact, we're going to recommend people apply it at the rate of get a second mortgage, invest it all into us, and uh, just apply as much of it as you can. Um, Lawn pods. Lawn pods. Yeah, uh, uh, Chad, we're going to ask you, we're going to sponsor your business, and uh, we just ask you to put it on YouTube as much as you can, and just say whatever you want about it, as long as it's good. Uh, all right, what else, what else you got for us, Steve? This is a joke for people that are listening that don't know yeah. that is a giant joke. <laughs> it is not real. <laughs> I got one. I got one. Um, what you got, Brandon? Uh, let's see. I I'd pose a question because we had a lot of questions about you know iron and iron sources and all this stuff. So I posted a question in the thread. Um, said i like for some light to be shed on the multitude of iron sources that are on the market what is the difference between sources say ED, edta edpa eddha versus sources like iron oxides humates and sucrates and what okay. are the benefits of sources all right so this is um there's there's I'll keep this as simple as possible, right? If you are applying a liquid versus a granular, right? Uh, if you're a liquid, you have a lot more flexibility as far as what you can do. If you're applying a granular, you have very limited flexibility as far as what you can do. Uh, if it's a granular and it is not an EDDHA, it is not an EDTA, it is not a uh, 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 HPTA or, or whatever else, chances are it's not effective. There is a way to homogenize it in such a way to make it effective, but your cost to do that, and you're not, you're not going to see that except for in a very hyper-specific uh, uh, manufacturing setting. No one is doing that. So uh, your chances are you're not going to find it. So that means sulfate, uh, oxide, uh, uh, oxysulfate, uh, humate. Uh, you can you can pretty much crumple it up and throw it out and and just and be done with it. Okay, but if you're if you are making a foliar application, then the 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 world's your oyster there, right? You can't find typically iron oxide as a foliar, right? Because it doesn't dissolve in in water. Uh, so uh, now there are. We're going to see more of like the nano suspension showing up with it, and but we'll save that for a later day. So right now, we'll just say iron oxide as a liquid isn't a thing, just to keep it simple. So really, the world's your oyster as far as sulfate, EDTA, EDDHA, all that fun stuff, right? Glucoheptanate's another one, too. Um, now, mm -hmm. what you have to make the judgment call is, is your, uh, your, your cost per application. If you're growing centipede, chances are you're in a low pH soil situation, right? So uh, you you have the benefit there of making an application of a sulfate and you will still get some root action out of it uh, uh, even after you make your foliar application. But chances are you don't even really need it because iron sulfate is a salt. Uh, it's going to get into the plant really easily. It is not hard to get iron sulfate into, into a plant. And, uh, and so, you know, your cost per thousand of that is going to be cheaper than everything else that's out there. In my opinion, I would only be using iron sulfate unless I have something else in the tank that would require protection from that iron molecule, right? Like if you're also applying like a phosphite or something, right? 
you're not going to be able to mix a phosphite and iron sulfate. That's, you know, rest in peace. But you can use iron EDDHA or iron EDTA and mix it with the phosphite and make that application. You're fine because that chelate will fully protect it from reacting with the, 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 the phosphite ion, right? But if you're just making micronutrient applications, you can get a standard off-the-shelf sulfate powdered blend, dissolve it into your tank, and go spray it all day long. You're going to get enough foliar uptake out of there to get every bit of that color response that you want. Um, now, if you if you if you can only get uh, a, a blend of a of an EDTA in a liquid or whatever, that's fine too, no problem. The but what you're you're relying on a little bit there is that less of it is going to make its way into the plant via the leaf. More of it will make it in to the plant via the root going to be a little bit slower response. And if you've ever run iron sulfate versus iron EDTA side by side, I think you'll see one responds a hell of a lot faster than the other. I say a hell of a lot, but in comparison, it's, it's faster, right? Um, and, uh, and that's, that's because that chelation is, uh, you know, one, you're relying on the root two is the, the size of the iron molecule, right? It doesn't mean that it's not going to get into the plant. It will, it's just, it's going to be a little bit, uh, gentler, slower, come on. Demay, you're staring at me. Did I did I say something crazy? No. Okay. Okay. I'm just making sure I didn't. I thought I thought I said something ass backwards or something. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Uh, <laughs> then uh, and, and that would go on with EDDHA. Now, if you have a pH above a five point five, uh, and and you're and you're choosing uh, between like EDTA and EDDHA, say you've got a soil pH of like six point five, right? And Again, you got a pH of 6.5. You can spray iron sulfate all day long. It's going to turn shit really, really green, but you're not going to get basically any of it that does not make its way in through the leaf. It's not going to get into the, to the root system, uh, not with that single app, right? Now, root exudates and all that fun stuff, it'll make its way into the plant over a period of years and years and years and years. But um, you know, it's not, it's not going to give you that immediate wow factor that you get when you make a micronutrient application, right? No one is out there applying micronutrients, you know, expecting zero return on investment in color. The whole reason anybody is making that application is because they want that wow factor from the color, right? So if you have a micronutrient deficiency, an actual deficiency, which is damn near impossible to find, right? Very, very, very limited situations are you going to run into that. In that particular instance, yeah, you can. You can go apply a, an oxide mix, and through exudates, the plant will be able to convert those oxides into a solubilized form that can make its way into the plant, and you'll stave off, you'll stove off those uh, deficiency symptoms. But you're not going to get that blue, green, beautiful uh, uh, aesthetic from the turf because of that application, right? Again, we're applying micronutrients typically for that immediate reinforcement of, wow, this looks great, right? So you can do that with sulfates all day long, all day long. You can do that with sulfates, right? Um, but as you, as you start getting higher and higher in pH, what doesn't make it in through the leaf will be root determined, right? And then at, after a six EDTA, not much of it's going to make it into the root because the EDTA molecule isn't going to protect it very well after a six. Then you, you switch to EDDHA, right? EDDHA is going to protect it to nine. And, uh, and it's going to be very effective at allowing that to happen. But for all intents and purposes, especially for people in centipede, centipede areas, I can't think of it any reason uh, aside from worried about tank mix interactions for anyone to use a chelate.
Save the money. My opinion. Mm-hmm. Save the money. Did I answer your question? Yep. Sure did. All right. Sure did. Here's a great question. Um, Centipede Lawn, last year I had some severe damage due to large patch and moderate amount of nematodes confirmed by a soil sample from Auburn. Since then, I've been treating with Xterra Stretz Guard since it contains the same active as Indemnify. Shout out Ray and Chad. Uh, is this something I can pause on or will nematodes always be ready to attack when my grass is stressed with disease? It has recovered nicely this year and I'm thinking I need to be proactive from now on for reference my pH is 5.5. Well, I, I would probably say that you're, if you if you know you have nematodes, that is something to always keep in the back of your mind. However, the fluopyram molecule has such a long half-life in soil that it can carry over for quite a while. It can last. But I know that in lawns where I know I have a nematode issue, it is standard operating procedure for me to incorporate Xterra Stress Guard into the fungicide program yearly. It's just cheap insurance given what turf loss can cost. And it's interesting that this. person says that they did find moderate amounts of nematodes and he has an issue with large patch because i've noticed an association with nematode infestations and large patch infection the two seem to go together yeah so by treating for the nematodes you can possibly reduce the severity of your large patch because before I cracked the nematode issue. I used to have lawns on a cringeworthy fungicide program. They would be getting Lexicon one time, Armada another time, uh, Clary 33.6 another time, and then <laughs> ProStar plus Eagle yet another time. I mean, God, that to me is, is, is yeah. nuts. Yeah. yeah, Matt. I told you about I told you about that program, right? That I feel like I need to go to church after that. I don't know why. Don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that crazy expensive fungicide program. But you know what? A lot of that went away when I started treating lawns with that exterior stress guard, one time in spring and one time in fall. Hmm. Then I'm not on edge about. Losing turf to large batch anymore. It's not nearly as you know big of an issue. Is that almost like a maintenance app? Say one time in the spring, yes, one time in the fall. Yes, sir. Yeah, one time in spring, one time in fall. fall <coughs> five ounce and five ounce and five ounce each time within label rates, right. and that's just uh, cheap insurance for me. <laughs> Ray, Evie said, does a pigment uh, offer any advantages to the centipede? Um, 
I'm, I was thinking. I don't know the answer to this. I would say I would say not really because I don't know if uh, photosensitivity is a thing of centipede. Not that I'm aware of. Y'all may know better than me, though. You know, you know, photo that that photosensitive pigment was actually intended to mitigate heat stress on bent grass greens. Right. That was the specific purpose of that stress guard pigment was when you're applying something like Xteris or Signature or uh, Mirage or any of the other beer golf fungicides to green bent greens, that stress guard pigment is dealing with yet another piece of agronomic management in that I liken it to a sunscreen for the grass because bent grass can get to a point where it's too much sun, especially if you're talking about, say, the bent greens at Augusta. You know, that's a little bit far south for bent grass. <laughs> so they need all the help they can get. Yeah, just a little, Matt, you know, just a little. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't I don't yes. think the pigment is is really doing anything for centipede there. I you know, uh, sun you know sun causing problem for centipede is uh, that's that's like antithetical uh, for for why people would would grow it. And then the other one is, uh, I using gypsum. Um, I, I, South Georgia and and you know uh, sodium accumulation there. I especially you're not going to find a sodic soil in South Georgia. So. Uh, no, I can't think yeah, of any reason to use use gypsum in that in that area. Um, gypsum breaks up the soil, man. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> breaks up the clay. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. It breaks it. breaks up clay. I mean, that's and and I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce yet another factor that can make or break centipede lawns, and that would be high levels of calcium. Hey, hang on. But I this here's a theoretical right here. Um okay, so we 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 are we, we're talking okay. Can you use gypsum to displace chloride? I don't know the answer to that. But I'm and I'm oh, yes, I'm no thinking way. of a hypothetical here to just throw a monkey wrench into the plan. You know, the fortunate thing about chlorides is that given sufficient chloride-free water, yeah. You can actually push or flush very mobile. Centip- you know, the chloride out because yeah, because the uh the chloride is a very weakly charged anion. It's not extremely well absorbed through most soils and if we're talking about the acidic sands that are common in the southeast Definitely no, then any chlorides could possibly be pushed out, you know, provided you don't keep on applying chlorides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't I, I don't see the need to displace the chlorides off the soil in that instance. On the other hand, though, if your chlorides were carried by sodium then actually that's a place where I don't care how you amend your uh, your soil, that centipede is probably not going to live, period. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying to, I was trying to 
shit on my own parade there and come up with uh, some sort of wild ass reason where we would you know, be like, oh, you know what? Gypsum in this particular instance, that's a great idea. Rescue, <laughs> you know, a year's worth of, uh, of uh, potassium chloride being applied. Yeah. yeah. What else? What else you got? Uh, other than mechanical core aeration, what would be the best option to improve an area of hard packed hydrophobic clay? Would I still use mason sand after aeration to help water filter further down into the soil instead of adding OM to actually retain moisture at ground level? Wow. I, all right. So I, hey, we need to preface this. We need to preface this. So <laughs> the majority of the time, right, especially in Georgia, right, everybody hears, oh, I've got red clay. I've got, I've got, I've got the hardest red clay you've ever seen. And then you pull, Demay had to go. Love you, Demay. Uh, you pull a, uh, a right. composition report and you find out it's like 60% sand. And I'm like, huh? Wow. I, that, that, when that all, all of a sudden, no, you're not really dealing with a clay. So can it get hard? Can it become hydrophobic? Sure. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have hydrophobic clay, right? And if you're dealing with hydrophobicity, that in and of itself has a correction method that is not going to be uh, uh, entirely reliant upon a uh, uh, in, in aeration. Can you aerate to aid in mitigating hydrophobicity? Sure. Is it what you have to do to mitigate hydrophobicity? No, not at all. There's, there's tools out there that you can do. And you can use them in conjunction, too. You can use a genuine good wetting agent with uh, with uh, in in combination with an aeration and get uh, a great effect from it. And then you can also top dress with sand on top of that too. And that's, that's also, you know, going to be degrees of improvement that, that you're, that you're working with there. Right. So, um, I think there's, it come, it, it, it comes down to this, right? It's, it's what level of intervention do you want to undertake? Um, you can, I would, I would, I would bet serious, serious money that, uh, or how about this? The person that asked the question, if you have a soil test, please show me that your CEC is greater than like 25 or 30. Uh, and if it, and if it is, then we'll pretend like you have clay. If it isn't, if it's in nowhere in the wheelhouse, especially if it's single digit, then, then you, you your, your clay diagnosis is, is already off. Yes. You could be dealing with, with hydrophobicity, uh, and that's that's what's going to give you that symptomology of saying, oh, I've got really really hard pan dirt. Of course you do. It's you know it's it's not holding any water. Um, and uh, but there again, you know, an adjustment with something like a uh, uh, a wetting agent can be a short term, mm -hmm. quick remediating thing that you can do. As you start looking for longer term options, right? That's where you can start talking about. Well, I can core aerate, collect my my cores, and top dress with sand, you know, to help improve, uh, that drainage profile and, uh, and you know, what clay content I do, ha I have, you know, whether that's 10, 15, 20, 25% in my, in my subsurface, uh, you know, that, uh, will be less sun exposed, uh, less subject to, uh, a complete and total depletion of, uh, of volumetric water content. And therefore, um, you, you know, will be, will be more conducive for uh, long-term ability to, to grow things on it without becoming hard pan. Right. Um, yeah, I, th I think that covered everything. Ray, let me, right. Now, and to, to reinforce my point here, where I have someone somewhat co co my bullshit, Ray, how many times <laughs> are you, uh, are you air writing lawns in a season? 
you got to be doing it what three, four, never. five times a season. You aerate lawns, right? Never. Oh, never. Absolutely oh. never. What about Not when you have hard pan clay, though? When I have hard pan clay, what I do is I find out why is this clay soil behaving that way, and the two factors that I look at are high magnesium levels, high sodium levels, and a third factor is high pH. And so... In, in, in nowhere in Georgia I, that I know of, I don't think anywhere in Georgia are you going to run into high pH soil. I don't, I think, I don't yeah, think that's possible. You're not going to have high pH, you're not going to have high pH soil, but in that case, I am open to the concept that when somebody has let their soil dry down too far, it is going to become rather hard. It's going to become rather resistant to rewetting. And in that case, mm -hmm. I'm in favor of treating that area with a wetting agent initially and then irrigating. And here's the thing. Everybody, please Knock off that meme of deep and infrequent. Because that is relevant and applicable to an entirely different type of grass. Yeah. All right. Because let's let's go into a little bit more detail there because this this is I mean, when people hear deep and infrequent, right? Like that's a, that's what everybody says. And then Ray is like, you know what? I'm going to rip your brain out through your ear holes real quick and tell you that deep and infrequent is a bad idea. Um, when would you say that specifically is a bad idea? Like what, what, uh, 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 composition, what soil composition are you looking for when you, when you hear deep and infrequent and you're, you're ready to blow your brains out? When I'm talking about clay soils, that become hydrophobic when they're made to dry down that far. That's when it's like, oh no, this is going to become a grass killer. Next situation, and this is specific, is when I'm dealing with a stoloniferous grass where all of the roots are on the surface. And you know what? We've been talking all night about a grass that is stoloniferous and has all of its roots on the surface. Centipede grass. Deep and infrequent doesn't really help centipede very well because all, most of its roots are on the surface. So it actually needs a little more moisture and a certain level of moisture to be maintained at that level. And furthermore, are we talking about that southeastern red clay in some cases? Oh, hell yeah. That southeastern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think okay. It's going to be a lot of what you see. Yeah. Okay. Because we in Hawaii have something very similar where it's this reddish soil that's really fine and powdery. But you let that soil dry down too much or too far, you may be in for a heck of a time getting it to re-wet. The water will yeah. literally beat up and roll to the side. 
if you've taken it you know, too far. I'm going to provide a little <laughs> bit of context there, right? So it doesn't if if you if you've got great density of your centipede or whatever grass type you have, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to get out there for five minutes every day and flip on your irrigation system. It's not it's not what he means by shitting on the idea of deep and infrequent, right? But um, it could be one of those things that still applying water when you see uh, 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 needling needling beginning to occur, right? And then, right. uh, and then, you know, maybe you, you are cognizant that, okay, I know that every fourth day I'm going to face needling and, uh, and I can pound it with an inch of water every time I see needling, or I could split it in half, right? Where I'll do an inch and a half on, I'll do, I'll do half an inch on a two day interval, knowing that on that fourth day where I normally have to ir- irrigate an inch, uh, to, uh, to offset that needling potential I would find on the fourth day, right? So that way you're maintaining not necessarily the depth of 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 watering that you normally would in that one water event. However, and and you know again trying to use percolation to your advantage here, uh, percolation rates, right? That probably aren't very high. Um, then you know splitting it up a little bit, um, and uh, and and you know therefore a little bit less than what you would normally be accustomed to. Uh, and then, you know, adding that additional day, uh, to be able to get it there. Is, it, is that closer in line, Ray? Am I, am I saying that yes, correctly? Yes, that is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That, that's, a, that's exactly, you've described my, like, you know, position on turf grass watering where I rather see one third to one half of an inch of water every second day. And that just keeps sufficient moisture without excessive flooding and also without excessive dry down it's just finding that happy medium and you know when you find a happy medium on the grass that is when your turf grass maintenance becomes relatively drama free yeah. it's only when people are trying to push extremes of anything or extremes in any direction, that's when they just actually added to it. And Matt, can you talk about pushing root growth? It's unfortunate that Ryan isn't here because I know Ryan is the person that would want to put somebody's nuts into a deli slicer when they talk about pushing root growth you know, via drought stress. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hem hawing that you can do with the idea of, uh, uh, driving roots, right? Like, uh, one of the things you can do to, to really, really drive the shit out of some roots is completely deplete the, uh, 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 the, the plant of phosphorus, right? So, in the in the face of extreme phosphorus deficiency, you will grow the deepest roots that you could have ever imagined. Uh, so you're say you're growing on a primarily sandy soil that's already low in phosphorus, and you're growing something that is you know phosphorus uh, a phosphorus user like Bermuda grass would be, and uh, and you want really deep roots, starve it of phosphorus. It is it is because the plant is freaking out. It's looking for it, and it's going to go try to find it every which means ways and measures that it can too, right? <laughs> Same thing. You you can you can dry it down to a point 
because let me tell you, you miss it a little bit with uh, trying to dry it down to, to, to drive roots. Then you've shot yourself in the foot. You foobarred yourself, right? And now, now you're, you're kind of flipping that over. Same thing with running ultra lean on phosphorus, right? Uh, you get, you can get away with it up to a point until you don't anymore. And then you're, and then you're, you're, you know, up, up, up a Creek in that regard. So that idea of, uh, I, you know, a driver, 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 well, hang on. You know, there's, there's, uh, it's not as simple as that. And it's the same thing. Like, you know, when we, when we get this, this theoretical example here, you know, like, I just want to make it clear that I was, I was using arbitrary numbers by saying, you know, on taking a, every fourth day schedule down to an every other day schedule, right? This is something that each individual person is going to have to figure out on their yard with their irrigation system. Yeah. Uh, and their soil structure, because your neighborhood is going to be different from your, your, uh, other friends in neighborhood to your parents' neighborhood and everyone all in between. And what maybe every other day on your property, maybe every, uh, eighth day on another property, you never know. So there's a, there's yeah, a lot I, of, I think uh, that's, that's the hard, the hard, I think that's the hard thing for homeowners to find in that happy medium as, as Ray would say, you know, cause I mean, I, like you said, I could water every second day. And someone can water every six days, you know what I mean? And still be okay and still have that sufficient soil, you know, uh, moisture. But I feel like people are so scared. The centipede is so touchy in itself that, you know, oh, if I water too much, I'm going to get large patch in the middle of summer. Oh, you know, or I'm going to get, you know, dollar spot or gray leaf spot or something in my St. Augustine or something, you know what I mean? It's just that find that happy medium. And that's kind of what we you know, kind of preach in the group, you know, everyone's different. Soil structure is different. Um, but climate is different. Climate is different. Even. Yeah, food. exactly. Too. Exactly. Do you have trees on the property? Do you not have trees on the property? Well, yeah. Watering is so yeah. It's yeah. Like that, that is super. It really is. Yeah. It's so nuanced. I mean, you are, you're totally right because I remember, you know, talking with people in the dam California or Arizona desert, and they're saying, I don't understand. I'm watering deep and infrequent, and my lawn is foobar. And I said, Uh oh, you know what? Stop what you're doing. Please give this grass a half an inch of water every other day and see how you go from there. Increase your water as needed if a half an inch is not enough i mean because they were thinking they could pound that lawn with an inch of water one time a week or an inch and a half one time a week and that would carry them but Mm -hmm. reality can be is that if your water if you're cruising at 10 percent humidity and 100 degrees every day though like you know you're yeah yeah (laughs) Good I'm luck. pushing my so. luck with Bermuda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 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 pushing your luck, and and so conversely, I also account for that humidity factor in that when I'm dealing with high humidity environments, I then have to counsel people the other way around and tell them, look, let's try watering like maybe every four days. Because every second day or daily is a lot because you haven't dried down from your first watering even. So 
we need to give this some more time so that the turf is not in a constantly saturated situation i mean it's it's so nuanced you're right this this is all like extreme nuance and if anybody tells you one size fits all rethink really rethink How much more time do we have, Matt? I've got a couple Keep it going. questions. I ain't worried about a damn yeah. thing. So, yeah. So these are just a couple of questions that that I've had um, in, in in my comings and goings of turf. Um, when when I think about dormancy um, and how to uh, store as store as many carbohydrates as possible to 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 stave off winter kill or whatever, protect it during winter. Um, is there anything that I'm missing, like past promoting as much photosynthesis as possible? Um, you throttle down the end, um, water and sunshine, maybe raise your height of cut a little bit and potassium. Like, is there anything else that you would suggest? Is there anything that in a bottle or a bag that's going to help me at all? Or is it just <laughs> basic management practices? That's what's going to store carbohydrates. Foliar, foliar absorbed uh, and and uh, plant movable carbohydrates. What do you what do you think? Uh, a little, a little fructose uh, towards the late end of the of the season. There, Ray. Do you think that's Do you think that's going to get us what we want? I, I got a more radical idea, Matt. I got uh, a more radical pop tarts. Are we going to feed the lawn pop tarts? Yes. Well, well, actually, I, I was thinking more like my uh, maltodextrin and creatine there (laughs) but seriously seriously how i manipulate carbohydrates and turf grass involves usage of pgr that is one reason for me to utilize something like trinexapac a new or flurprimidol you know cutlass is I want to get the grass to stop growing leaves that I have to cut off and instead mm-hmm. direct some of that growth and energy the other way around down to the, you know, the roots, the stolons and the rhizomes. So, and in fact, I've seen an effect. Yeah. I've seen an effect by limiting vertical and you know, top growth. I've seen a, a positive effect from that. So at what point would you, uh, here in South Georgia, I'm in Savannah, if I was going to do mm-hmm. it, which I may or may not do, I don't know. Um, I do have some podium in the in the garage. At what point would I apply Trinexapac? At what point would I do that? I would I, apply I would, that would... after, as soon as your spring transition is complete and your grass is actually vigorously growing, I would be applying the lower end of the label rate regularly, and then I would cease application at least 30 days before anticipated dormancy. You know, if I'm talking about that podium uh, PGR, I would, and because the idea is, is that it may seem counterintuitive because I'm limiting that vertical growth, but then instead, what's happening is that to a degree, that energy for vertical growth is now being redirected towards you know, the lower half of the grass instead. So it 
a different tool. However, please be careful of rates because too much is not a good thing as well because when you get into the world of of too much, then now we're talking about rates that are overall harmful to the growth of the grass period. Too much is too much. And don't let that lure you into a false sense of security. Nature is a beast, right? So you can do everything right. You can have it on the best PGR program in the world. Again, you know, the, uh, the, the, the ice storm of Augusta that year. Uh, all right. I, I had the lawn so dialed in on PGR. I didn't have to cut it for like, I don't know, uh, almost a solid month there at the end. Uh, and and it, it, it did not come out of dormancy, you know, property line or property line. Right. So, uh, again, you know, it's everything was now, of course I had it juiced to the Holy hell. And let me tell you, this was the most artificial looking green you had ever seen centipede in your life. It was amazing. It looked like astrophysics. I loved it. Um, it just, it didn't, it didn't live anymore after that. I, I don't, I don't want that to lure you into a false security, you know, ice sheeting in and of itself is just, it's you're, you are in for the ride of your life and you have no control over it whatsoever. So <laughs> chances are just the first part that you, that you mentioned is going to give you 98% of what you're looking for, for carbohydrate storage. What Ray's talking about is one of those extra spicy kicks on the back end that, you know, comes with a significant amount of experience. It adds a little bit of a risk variable to it too, right? Like he's saying, you get, you get squarely with rates and then you end up kicking yourself in the ass. So, you know, chances are that in and of itself is going to be good enough. If you, if you, you want to fuck around and find out with your podium, you got it. You're ready to, you know, like, man, I'm tired of staring at, you know, the money I have invested over here. I might as well set it on fire. I'll do it at this point. Right. Um, and even if you don't use it all the way through the end of the season of, uh, you know, you, you want to run half the season under regulation to see how that alters the aesthetic, how that alters the the growth uh, pattern. Does it, does it influence weed pressure once it's under a regulation that gets insanely tight, right? Like there's lots of different variables that you can take into consideration, but I don't, I just want to make it clear. I don't want it to, I don't want it to lure you in and think All right, my grass will never experience winter kill. If I, if I keep it under, under regulation. Well, I, I, I fucked around and found out uh, last year. So, oh, uh, there know, we go. I, 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 I fucked <laughs> my shit all up. So, oh man, I'm sure it's it was fine. Worth it. So it's fine. It's it's, it's not gonna. It's it it, do, it doesn't scare me. I mean, my my lawn now is rocking and rolling though. So I mean, you know, like I said, I, I I've I've never I've I've never pushed it into decline. I've never you know lost large sections of my lawn. I've never. I just have. You're not trying hard enough. Wood, is, is what I hear. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. I've done some, I've done some plenty of stupid shit. Um, let me get you. Let me get you all with another question. Um, P levels. So for centipede, what's an optimal P level uh, for centipede? Um, MLSN suggests twenty two ppm, uh, higher or lower, or is that probably about spot on? Oh uh, no, you you can go much lower. I think this is going to be more into who is it? Soldat was doing the work on bent grass down to like three or four. I think, I think Shaddix has been involved in that too. I would say centipede is probably going to be tolerant into, into things down there in that weirdly low range as well, too. I'm guessing, I'm guessing Ray, do you know anything different? But I mean, you know, if you're four, eight, 10 parts per million of phosphorus, you know, are you, are you sweating bullets on centipede? 
Hardly. At 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 that point, uh, if I'm under twenty parts per million P in the soil for a centipede, that's when I'm relaxing. I'm not anxious anymore because once I see P over twenty five and the desired turf type is centipede, then I know this may not work out long term. Then because here's why my I have concerns over high P levels in a centipede lawn. If the high P level doesn't cause centipede decline in and of itself, here's what I observe have observed over the years. High P levels make other weeds that much more aggressive. That that high phosphorus is instead feeding and sustaining some of the weeds. And like my philosophy on centipede grass is literally, how's this? I want it to be growing on soil that is so acidic, calcium, and phosphorus deficient that nothing else even wants to grow there. Good, that is my ideal. <laughs> okay, I mean, that, that's, my, that's my ideal, is that I want this soil to be so nasty that the only kind of grass, weed, or vegetation that it can will even think of surviving there is maybe mm, uh, evergreens, centipede grass, and rhododendrons. <laughs> there, I said it. <laughs> it and as far as a, an upper threshold, like what, what you know, and all right, so people that want to know how to drop your pea levels. Bag your clippings is about the only thing you can do. You start getting into the real, real weird stuff after that, right? Like, and it's and good luck. It's just you're you're spending money, you're chasing your tail, you're chasing numbers. At that point, you'll never be able to do it. Um, you know, bagging your clippings, discarding them, right? If you if you if you bag your clippings and then redistribute it back onto your lawn, you're just redistributing the pee back onto your lawn. So you know, I don't I don't want you to think that that's the appropriate thing to do too. I've seen weirder shit. That's why I say that. Um. So, uh, 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 anyway, I, I saw Evie's question. I got distracted there. So bagging clippings, mm. removing them. Question. Uh, phosphites. Yes. Phosphites will in, in turn continue to convert into phosphorus, right? Um, so limiting phosphite use on, on centipede is probably a good thing, but here's the reality of the situation. Yes. Phosphite is a SAR, right? So there are some weird effects that it can have a positive role on in the plant, but primarily the majority of the effect it's going to, it's going to, it's going to work on is going to be the, the, uh, the, the pythium, you know, pathways that where, where yeah. pythium can have an effect. Right. Again, yeah. there's some ongoing research with the, the idea of, you know, biostimulant and, and, and that aspect, uh, uh, you know, again, with like, you know, microdocrine patch, I think there's some ongoing work with that and some promising stuff that that's, that's happening, but in and of itself, you're thinking of, of phosphite in general as a pythium product. Um, and how frequently are you seeing pythium on centipede? Mm. Yeah, we had a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, Matt? 
Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I almost name dropped there and I didn't, but oh, uh, wait, easy. no, I will. <laughs> uh, uh, that you know, only only Pat Irwin would come up with the idea that uh, uh, we need we need we need to apply phosphates to centipede. I'm kidding, Pat. I love you. I will I, I will arm wrestle you though and win. By the way. <laughs> Oh man! I'm gonna show up tomorrow. Upper threshold of centipede. When are you scraping the grass and laying Bermuda side, Ray? What is your personal threshold? Again, this everybody has to establish their own threshold. This is just where Ray would do it, and I would say Ray is going to be on the more extreme end of things. By extreme into things is like um, uh, probably at a lower phosphorus level than what most people need to do. Right, so. You know, understand if Ray's there, you want to give yourself a 50% cushion, you're probably okay. <laughs> okay. I would probably say uh, it's a definite reconsider your grass type over 50 parts per million. Reconsider. Go. I mean, that's just, go. that's just fair because then again, we've had a- <coughs> yeah. 50. Yeah. 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 Because then again, we've had actual experience with somebody where they're, turf area was carrying a hundred parts per million or near a hundred parts per million. And guess what happened to that lawn? That that's the brand new iron cutter lawn right now. Hmm. <laughs> I bet it's, because I bet it's the, a hell of a lot prettier and a hell of a lot easier to maintain. Just saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you see the problem with that high phosphorus is it may not necessarily Chills a turf grass, you know, your centipede, but how much is that going to feed the weed? Because the other thing about me dealing with centipede is as much as possible, overall, I like to keep herbicides off of centipede as much as I can. You know, that's just uh, part of keeping centipede in that happy medium is please be restrained as far as what you apply to it and if there's something that i can do that discourages weeds you know i i will take that avenue i and i'll, I'll make this clear too someone asked earlier that about you know herbicides post-merchant herbicides that affect uh a uh, uh, green up put it this way anything that ends inside has the potential mm-hmm. to affect a green up, right? So it, do, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it is. If it ends inside, there is a degree of probability that it's going to affect. Uh, a, a post-emergence, no matter how selective of a post-emergent it is, uh, there is a high degree of probability it will affect green up in some way. Uh, even, even things that are relatively benign, like low rates of, of three-way on dormant Bermuda grass will affect the rate <laughs> at which it greens up. And if you don't believe me, go try it. Go spray, you know, a, a dead ass dormant uh, Bermuda lawn with, uh, with you know, sixteen ounces of glyphosate an acre, and then take the one next to it and uh, skip the glyphosate app, and then you know, in in March, a month before it really starts to green up, go apply sixty four ounces of th- uh, per acre of three way on it, and then watch how the two green up. Guarantee you, the one with glyphosate, and that that would would be the one that you would expect to have the delayed green up, would actually green up faster than the one with the uh, with the three way application. And again, it's you know, no matter how selective it is. Uh, even and mistimed non-selective herbicides too. Anything that ends inside has a degree of probability that it will affect cleanup. 
Good enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Here's another Brad, do you have any guys, questions? Um, you got another one, Steven? Go ahead, Steven. Got like two, I've got two more. Unless, Chad, you want to ask the, the nitrogen cycle question. Um, why is sulfate of potash not, recommend, not recommended uh, as the potassium source on extension sites? It's usually in. Good question. Why is there not a consistent soil uh, method, you know, soil uh, a nutrient, a nutrient recommendation uh, amongst uh, 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 universities or extensions? I don't know. And it's in uh, I'll tell you why. And I've asked this question of a, of a similar degree to multiple different turf professors. And it really comes down to this is that in order to get something changed is, is just, it is an absolute nightmare of an accomplishment. So the reality of it is, is that they're not going to be able to make a lot of changes in the literature. Uh, one, the cost to undergo that level of change is big. And a lot of these departments are underfunded as it is. Uh, two is the amount, the body of evidence that you would have to show in order to justify that change and to justify that offense would be a mountainous task as well too. Right? So, um, there's, it's, it is an uphill battle that not a lot of people want to undergo due to the amount of eyes and pressure that would be on you. And I know that doesn't sound very satisfactory, but I promise you it is a bigger task than what I'm making it sound. It sounds simple. It is really academia is a completely different world than the one you and I live in. It is so different, right? Yeah. And this is, this is even out. It doesn't matter if you're tenured or not. It is a completely different thing, right? So you're, you're not going to see big changes there. Um, and I, I, I think that's the, the easiest answer. And then, you know, again, you know, it's, we have moved so far in the progress of establishing what the minimums for turf trash performance is, but we still can't come to the conclusion over whether we need to be at uh, uh, nutrient recommendations for sustainable levels of nutrition or how many of them I still see that include some uh, aspect of BCSR in their recommendations too. And it's like, mm -hmm. my God, have we not moved past this? All Brett himself said, yep, found the hole. I found, I found the hole in my, in my argument here. You know, it is, it's a, it's a fallacy, but we're still using it, right? Or the number of ones that are still recommended tissue testing for turf grass, right? You're like the, we don't need to know what critical levels are at at uh, at V1 and VT3, right? We're not growing corn, you know. The, that makes sense there. If we're high yield corn growers, sure, we need to be at a certain place when we go to tassel. We're not going to tassel in turf grass, so you know, making sure that we're at you know point one parts per million of, of fucking boron, you know, at, uh, at, you know, June the 13th, where we have exactly, you know, 11 hours and two minutes and 14 seconds of sunlight a day. It, and at that level of specificity is, is, is moot. doesn't mean anything. Right. So, um, anyway, there's, a, I, I get it. There's a lot of foobard that you see from extensions and even from extension agents, right? Because remember a lot of these extension agents are, ag economic backgrounds or whatever the case may be. Right. And, and they don't have a high degree of, uh, uh, a specialty in turf grass. And, uh, and that's just the way it is. 
Um, it's, it's, it's not funded. Uh, there's not enough demand for it. You know, you would think there would be because as an industry, clearly we're all involved in it, right? We know what we spend in fertilizer every year and it's a, it is a big industry, but compared to ag, we're shit. We're shit and we're still big dollars and we're still shit. Hundreds of thousands of tons of fertilizer effectively, you know, that, that, you know, we, we lock up as an industry and it ain't shit. Millions of tons. Tons, millions. We don't, we don't, we it's don't a feed huge people number. directly. We don't, we don't. Yeah. So we don't it is what people. it is. Yeah. What else you got? I mean, Chad, do you want to ask this, uh, this question, the, the nitrogen cycle question, or well, do you want Lord me to tee it up, or do you want me to just ask the question? Of course, yeah, the dinosaur is going to come in with damn the Krebs cycle and whatever else is no, going on no. over here. No, no, no. It's, not, it's nothing like that. It's nothing stupid like yeah, that. Yeah, I'll let Stephen ask that question. So, so, in, so in a situation where, you know, somebody has a tree in the yard and they've got it removed, right? And they grind the stump down and there's the, the wood chips and whatever and they sod over it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll see where the grass, the turf doesn't perform in those areas and you'll have to add, you know, um, additional, uh, fertilizer or what have you. Um, what's going on in that, like what's going on in that situation that is causing that turf to underperform and be thin and discolored. I'll preface this by saying that it's not always the same thing. It, it, it could be, it could be a couple different things. Um, I, again, and I, I, I step it back into C to N ratios, right? You've got, you know, we think about, we think about the rate at which organic matter decomposes, right? You hit, you hit kind of max rate of, of, uh, uh, composting or decomposition or mineralization or whatever, you know, by, uh, adequate soil moisture, uh, adequate soil temperature and the appropriate C to N ratio, right? You get skewed one way or another, and then weird things start to happen, you know, and, uh, and, you know, like you've skewed too high on the nitrogen side, then you, know, you may have an over, uh, rate at which you're accumulating nitrogen, right? And then you go the other way and then, you know, you're not getting enough production. And so you have to skew it one way or the other. Then the other aspect would be, um, uh, com- composting in and of itself is hot, it's hot. It's why when you go turn a mulch pile at, at site one to go get your yards of mulch, the motherfucker steaming. How many times have you seen a, uh, a, a mulch company's pile just spontaneously combust and ignite and burn for days, just days and days and days it burns, right? It, well, effectively that could be what's happening subsurface too, right? So it couldn't just, it may not just be an excess of nutrients. It might not just be deficient of of nitrogen it could also just be a pure temperature standpoint as well too uh ray i'm i'm sure you've got more i don't know you may even know some shortcuts on trying to figuring out the right way to approach that what what is your take on it what's my take on it is the presence of undecomposed or yet to be fully decomposed organic matter and you know that heat produced by when that organic matter is attempting to decompose, that heat is literally enough to kill plant root. Because 
average decomposition temperature is 150 degrees, right? That may not seem like a lot, but what I know about heat and its effect on plants is that if you can maintain 150 degrees over two hours, things die. They're dead, done, gone. So if you can imagine a tree stump or piles of wood chips underneath sod and all of that starts to decompose and get hot and stay hot for the entire growing season, the grass is going to have a problem. The grass is going to have a huge problem. And the other factor to consider is in that decomposition process, that organic matter is also sequestering nitrogen that the grass otherwise needs for growth. So there are multiple factors that are going to make it rather hard to grow grass on wood chippings or tree stumps. It's just many things are working against you. And my last bit is that this just popped up in my head is what if it were possible to rapidly oxidize that organic matter? That all right. That's this is where we start getting into like some real fun shit, right? And I, and actually, I do I do want to talk about this a little bit because there is ongoing work um, in in various parts of the world specific to this, and the idea is mitigating the accumulation of organic matter in sand based growing mediums like golf greens, for example, right? And there are some people in uh, South America that are really really deep and have developed highly effective programs at mitigating uh, organic matter accumulation without airifying and uh, and and uh, sand filling, right? And this is through however, the use of, what's that? <laughs> what were you going to say? However, what they're using to yes. mitigate that organic matter is not a joke. I mean, no. this is so fucking hazardous i cannot emphasize how hazardous this is aka that, no one people. needs to be doing this no one needs to be doing this i want to make that very clear yeah because matt what are what exactly are they using to oxidize this organic matter strong oxidizing agents namely uh hydrogen peroxide yes oh, shit okay and everybody is thinking right now what is so horrible about hydrogen peroxide? All right. Hydrogen peroxide, that 3% solution that you can buy from CVS, that is relatively harmless. However, what's being used in this work to decompose organic matter in sand and soil is they're dealing with 30% hydrogen peroxide. And 30% hydrogen peroxide is violently reactive. Uh, Ray, and, and to, to put it like, <laughs> when I say that you're teetering on the edge of disaster by doing this, Ray, what happens if you were to mix, say, oh, I don't know, say you go out with an application of uh, a potassium nitrate or ammonium nitrate, and then you come in behind it with a 30% solution of, uh, of uh, hydrogen peroxide. 
what could you expect to happen? Good luck. Or you I mix it in the same there. tank. Yes. Yeah. Or you mix it. Or you mix it in the same tank and rest in, in peace. Literally, you run the risk of dying. Yeah, because <laughs> hydrogen peroxide is as an oxidizing agent means that it oxidizes whatever it's going to oxidize instantly, right? Now, to give you an idea, Matt, solutions of hydrogen peroxide over 3% will literally bleach and burn through skin. Okay? Never mind what that does if that gets into your eyes. And I haven't even gotten into how high concentrations of hydrogen peroxide can react with any kind of flammable material. Because, you know, hydrogen peroxide is what's used in these rockets. You admix hydrogen peroxide with a fuel, and this stuff is so reactive that you don't even need to ignite it. It will self-ignite. So... When somebody is talking about using hydrogen peroxide, that even gives me pause. And by the way, I have dealt with hydrogen peroxide in high, high concentrations. It is not a joke. This is serious. <laughs> yeah. It, anyway, that, to show you the extreme like of where you can go with degrading organic matter, right? That's like opposite, the opposite end of the, of the extreme. Your best bet from a homeowner standpoint is removing absolute as much as humanly possible because the level of weirdness that starts to occur with any amount of leftover wood in the ground, especially if it's dead, right? Like at a certain, certain point, you know, at a certain depth, right? You've still got like a root system. The root, the wood is still wet, right? Where it hasn't started to fully break down. It's like why with firewood, you got to let it cure, right? Before you can throw it in, it's still wet, right? So while it's still wet, not a whole lot of weirdness is going on, but it reaches that standpoint of drying out where decomposition decomp- can begin. Then it starts to get really weird. And then you're throwing fertilizer on top of your grass on top of that. And of course your root system is developing and dying and it's depositing too, Right. And you think about it for people that are gardeners that do the compost thing, you think about it, mixing the, the, the browns and the greens, right? Effectively, that's what's happening in your soil too. So you're reaching that standpoint of, you know, 140 F, 150 F, 160 F, and then you're throwing more nitrogen on top of it. Right. And it could be getting hotter and hotter. And then, you know, again, you're at 140 F anyway, your plant roots are never going to make it. And then, you know, you're scratching. Your head. <laughs> I don't get it. Why does it keep doing this? It keeps dying in the same spot every year. Of course it is, because you know six inches down, it's it's a hundred and fifty degrees down there. It's not going to work. Too hot, way too hot. Bottom line. What else? That's all the questions I've got. Who's who's got another question? That's all I got. What you thinking over there, Chad? Uh, I was just waiting to see if there were any any others that we may have missed. So that's all of them from the post, Stephen. We go back to the post right now. There may be some some easy gimmies in there. Stragglers, some stragglers. <laughs> yep, we'll get we'll give it a few more minutes. Uh, it's all, it's already eleven o'clock. I'm sure I'm sure uh, y'all are are ready to wind it down as well too. 
Uh, I will say that I, I actually really enjoyed this. Uh, one, I love what y'all do with the group, by the way. Uh, I think that's great and it's commendable. And, you know, I wish, like, for instance, I wish Bermuda Lawn Dominators functioned like your group does, right? <laughs> it's funny, when we're looking for things, like, legitimately in our Discord, I have a section called Clown World Lawn Care. And, uh, and this is for like, you know, stupid shit we see out in the world on a day-to-day basis And 98% of it comes from Bermuda lawn dominators, you know, and it's just like, man, it is unbelievable what comes out of that group. It's not to say everybody's in there stupid. There's a lot of really bright people that, that are in there. You know, it's just, you see a higher degree of, of inanity, uh, that, that tends to come out of it. And it's not a fault of the group, I guess, you know, it's just, you know, it is what it is. You probably have more people that are trying to tackle Bermuda. And, uh, you know, it just, it ends up happening that way. Like I'm sure, you know, occasionally time to time, how many people come in and tell you you're all, uh, stupid idiots for not using, uh, malorganite and water on your centipede, because that's all you need to grow to have great grass. Right. Uh, it's just, it is another one of those things that makes you want to bang your head in the wall. Uh, It is, it is what it is though. (laughs) But seriously, y'all, uh, what'd you got? I was just say here's here's two two last easy ones. Perfect. Um, best way best way to control uh, and kill centipede grass in a hybrid Bermuda grass lawn. And are there temp- are are temperature restrictions like on herbicides or, or what have you? Um, the actual temp or is it the real field temperature? Ooh. <laughs> I see. Uh, so Ooh. the the first one is killing uh, a, a centipede in a Bermuda lawn. This is what's hilarious about centipede and, and another one of the many millions of reasons why I hate it is that you can have uh, uh, a patch of centipede under Bermuda line and you can go spray it with glyphosate and it won't do anything. And then you can have a beautiful, beautiful stand of centipede and go spray it with with uh, a quarter of an ounce per acre of metzofuron methyl. And it and it it may not ever it may not ever uh, look right ever again for for three years. Um, it's it's fascinating that way, and I I don't understand it. That being said, there's a lot of options that I've seen. Just it does not recover well from, um, especially some of the more uh, uh, sensitive sulfonyl ureas. Like I ran a lot of Monument. It was it's something that I preferred to use in a backpack, uh, scenario, especially as a, as a kicker to whatever else I'm running. Right. Um, you know, having that monument in there, plus, you know, we'll say I like sulfentrazone in it and, uh, and then, you know, maybe a touch of two, four D ester or, uh, or, you know, just a generic three way in there. Right. I mean, that was very broad spectrum of what I could get in one backpack. It'd kill sedge, <laughs> it'd kill all kinds of fun stuff, buttonweed, you know, it was, it was just a great, great little app. You, 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 you're muted, Brandon. I can't hear you. Did your microphone disconnect? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I still, I still cannot hear you. Look, he, he killed, he killed his earbuds. Nope. Can't hear you now either. Okay. Still not coming uh, through. I've never, I've, you know, an app like that, I've never seen Centipede come back from. Um, uh, so uh, like someone saying, right, busy saying, you know, monument, sulfur zone, MSM, you know, at label rates kills it. Yeah. 
I've never had to survive that. Going up with just quinclorac and thinking you're going to get it in one application, chances are there's going to be a fair amount of it that ends up recovering. You go spray a centipede blonde with, with quinclorac, it's dead. It's never coming back. It, it's the end of the world. Literally, it's like, it's, you know, it's like painting it with acid or something. It's not going to come back. Um, but a patch have- growing in Bermuda grass, it's going to eat it up, no problem. I, I had a, I have an alternate approach that I know uh, I turned the Greek geek onto you know this for maintaining a monostand of Bermuda in an entire neighborhood full of centipede. You know what I told him to do? Hmm. Start feeding his Bermuda with that cheap one 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 from the co-op. Hmm. And you know what that cheap one 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 is? Myriad of potash and ammonium <laughs> phosphate. <laughs> uh, you could probably get away with like a little bit of sodium chloride in the tank too. Uh, Bermuda is yeah, going to be yeah, tolerant some, of it. Centipede's not. Yeah, some, you know, if you're, if you're table looking for salt is to uh, play around with is another is another option. Just a little uh, sprinkle of that uh, pool salt or water softener salt. Done. Uh, Here's another one that I've used on Centipede that kind of shocked me. Revolver. Do not get revolver near Centipede either. It's not not a good idea. I've seen some Centipede survive revolver. Um, I I can't say I've, 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 with 100% of the time, it killed Centipede and Bermuda grass with revolver. Okay, and Evie, I just saw something from Evie in that he touched on another good point. If you have centipede growing in your Bermuda turf, you need lime. Your pH is not high enough. Mm. That, that, is, that is the other little piece of this puzzle, is that if somebody has centipede commingled with their Bermuda, I would ask to see their soil tests, yeah? And I want to know, how's your pH and your calcium and your phos levels doing right now? Are Creating you high environment in- not conducive for the survival of centipede, effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you favor the Bermuda by jacking that phosphorus up to over 100 parts per million. You favor that Bermuda by keeping your pH at 6.5. You know, you do those things, and my guess is is that here's where I've seen mixtures of centipede and Bermuda. I've seen it where that poor Bermuda is starved for calcium, starved for phosphorus, and it's obviously thinning out from the low pH. That's where I've seen both centipede and Bermuda in the, in the same place, and that's where I tell people, hey, I think we need to pick one turf grass and manage this area in a way that fit, fit, that favors whatever you've decided to keep or have. We got to pick one here. What else? There's just that last question about uh, temperature restrictions on herbicides. Is that the actual temp or like what you're what you're feeling the the real field temperature? Nope, Brandon still can't hear you. Uh, I'm, uh, I would go. I would go off. Shit, I would go off actual temp. 
Um, actual I don't know, right? Where would you, you would you would go off actual temp? Because if I, I, I go went off, off real feel, I would I would oh. I'd never be able to get applications done. Yeah, just, yeah, you'd never be able to spray. And then the other, the real other, feel was like a hundred well, degrees at at, uh, at at like eleven o'clock this morning here. So <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, real because, yeah, feel heat index, but. The, the way that I would look at this, though, and I frequently get asked this, too, is that, all right, what I'd actually be looking at is what are my projected temperatures for the next 14 days after I've made this application? Because when we play this game of, ah, it is early morning or it's evening and it's only 75 degrees, I'm golden, and then... For the next week, my daytime highs are peaking at mid-90s. And if I'm dealing with something where high temperatures increase risk of injury, I'm probably going to have a problem. I'm probably going to have a bad problem, irregardless if, of what the temperature was when I actually made the application. <laughs> it is a... Uh, uh, I, it, is it, is it going to be the determinant factor that kills the grass? No, probably not. But you know the amount of uh, of of damage that would be unsightly that if you did not adequately adequately prepare the customer for, and it might be a tough conversation that you're going to end up having to have. Uh, Telecoman only put monument on centipede if you're okay with it dying. Um, yeah. It- if you want it gone, you send the monument. <laughs> it, Brandon can't talk, uh, but he's saying that uh, his centipede, uh, his neighbor has centipede, and of course it's wanting to move in on his Bermuda, and he's trying to create a, an inhabitable environment for it with uh, higher higher phosphorus and higher uh, pH. Exactly that. Keep us posted mm-hmm. on how that goes. I'm curious. Uh, and then, of course, also with your herbicide selection there, too, I'm curious how that ends up playing into it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I doubt you're having to do just a whole lot of blanket spraying as of yet, but you know, at some point you will be in a position where you end up having to. And then I'm curious if that further staves off, staves off the, uh, the, the rate of encroachment from it, because again, it just gets weird. Uh, and I just for shits and gills, I'm curious, do y'all get fireweed real bad down there? American burnweed, like in that, in that weird period of March, April timeframe. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know that may be one of those instances where you catch yourself having to make a blanket application, and then you know encroaching centipede is going to be is going to be a ha- unhappy depending on what your herbicide's like. If you're going out with MSM, maybe not, but if you're you know just spraying a three way or whatever, then chances are you're probably uh, making oh. the, the centipede unhappy. That that reminds me of something that I once did to myself that scared the heck out of me, Matt. What, what did you Apply- do? Apply. Apply Trimix Southern at label rates to centipede. <laughs> was, uh, was Trimex Southern the uh, the old formulation with monosodium methane arsenic? No, sir. That no. was the Trimex with. Was it Trimex Plus? Ratio. I can't remember what it was called. Trimex, Trimex Plus was the MC MCPT MSMA and Dicamba. That was Trimex yeah, yeah, Plus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Trimex Southern was high rate MCPP, low rate 2,4-D, and low rate dicamba. Uh, Okay. And and when I applied that to centipede turf area at label rates, I 
scared myself for the next two months. <laughs> Ray, I mean, Ray, Ray carried a couple extra sets of underwear in his truck on those days, <laughs> you know, just in case he drove past the lawn and, and had to change it. <laughs> All right. We were going to wrap this up. Seriously, Brandon, Steve, Chad, thank you for coming on. We'll have to do this again. It was a lot yeah, of fun. Thank you all. And uh, it was fun. Thank you. Yeah. And we can we can also play around with other grass types too. Uh, in, fact, in fact, I would love to do one on St. Augustine as well too, because I know that's a whole yes. animal in and of itself, and I mm-hmm. I hate that grass second only to uh, to centipede. So, um, and then after that, maybe we'll do Zeon Zoysia and just get the top three right out yes. of the way. And, yes, uh, and then well, yeah. I don't have to think about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks guys uh for everyone in the chat if you are dealing with this and you want to go uh, uh hang out with these guys and learn more about what they're going on i am throwing the link to their group in the chat uh go in go say hey to them support what they do uh support their businesses too uh brandon chad uh, show them some love if you if you if you need to get in on united rentals too show steve chad he's some motherfucking love too by the way, can you do you know any employees up here in uh, East Tennessee? Because I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a guy's name, and he is legitimately one of the greatest guys I've ever worked with in my life. And I'll I'll, I'll DM it to you and see if you can get any inside baseball on him because he is legitimate and an awesome guy. I love him. Uh, all right, y'all have a great night. Thank you for everything. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.